Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain, remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you give such care and consideration to each one of our individual lives and especially uh, the suffering that we experience. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us now to give care and consideration to your holy word that challenges us, that comforts us, that directs us. And uh, give us faith that we might uh, receive the seed of your word into good ground in our minds and in our hearts and that that seed might bear much fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are talking about the topic of patience in suffering. And uh, what an important topic for us as a community. Um, just a couple weeks ago, Thea Rosenberg, who's a member of our church, sent me a song that uh, she had written about the story of Martha and Mary from the Gospel of John. Martha and Mary's brother, Lazarus, had just died, and Jesus had delayed a visit to them. And they thought, well, if you'd come earlier, you he wouldn't have died. And so the song is much about their crying out uh, to, to Jesus. And actually, she, we just sent that out. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Church Community Builder, our online communication tool. But in the end of the song, this is what uh, Thea sings. My one necessary thing, my promised king, giver of all good things, you are never late. And you do not forsake the ones you love. God is never late. Some of you may be in the middle of a long period, maybe years of weariness, of disappointment, of suffering, of hardship. God's word tells us that God is never late, and that's why we wait. That's why we need patience. And so this morning as we look at James chapter 5, we're going to look at two just simple questions about patience in the midst of suffering. This is what the two questions are. What do we do to be patient in suffering? And what does God do as we are patient in suffering? So what do we do and what does God do? And James has three answers to each of those questions that I think are challenging, but words 
that we need to hear as a community. So two questions this morning on patience and suffering. This is what they are. This is the first. First, what do we do to be patient in our suffering? What do we do to be patient in our suffering? Three answers. And the first is this. We must know that the Lord is coming again. Twice, uh, James mentions that Jesus is coming again. And both times when he mentions it, it's paired with the word patience. You see in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, some people would get angry if you gave them the piece of advice that James is giving us right now. Because maybe you've said this. Maybe someone has said to you that if someone is experiencing real suffering and people go through such hard things living in this world, and you just say to them, well, Jesus is coming again and he's going to eventually make it all better. They say, well, you're, that, you're not showing compassion. That's a shallow answer. You're not really appreciating what they're going through. And that complaint can be true. If you especially use the Lord's coming so that you kind of don't have to enter into the suffering that someone's experiencing, you know, and you just say, oh, Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be all right. The Bible says that we're supposed to weep with those who weep. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens with one another. And so we have to enter into the suffering. And so if you use a doctrine to, you know, allow you to keep a distance from people's suffering, yeah, that is shallow and not compassionate. But for literally billions of Christians throughout history, around the world. The promise that Jesus was going to come again and set all things right and free them from suffering and oppression has been an absolutely precious hope. It has gotten them through lifetimes and decades of suffering as they've been waited to, for the Lord to receive them into glory. It's an incredibly huge promise. And these are people who've experienced suffering that's often way more severe than the suffering that you and I experience here in Bellingham. You know, the, the poverty and the, and the persecution that people have experienced. And they say, my eyes are fixed on the coming of the Lord. And so James says that if we're going to suffer with patience, we must establish in our hearts our Lord is coming again to rescue us. So first, is that established in your heart, resolved in your mind? My Lord is coming again. I'm waiting for him. So first, first thing, what do we do when we're to be patient in suffering? We need to know the Lord's coming again. We keep our eyes fixed on that. Second, challenging word, is we must not grumble, James says. James in the Bible are surprisingly hard on grumbling. You see there in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, in our age, we put a, a high value on authenticity in our culture. Almost any time, if you're telling someone about someone that you like, they say, oh, they're just so genuine and they're open and they you know, talk about what's going on. We greatly appreciate genuine authenticity. And so how do you discern the difference between being authentic and grumbling and complaining, right? Because the Bible does say we're supposed to weep with those who weep. Then if I'm going to weep with you, I need to know what you're going through. I need to know about your suffering. You need to share it with me if I can carry that burden with you. So you've got to talk about what you're suffering. 
And uh, it's almost like there are these two ditches. On the one hand, this might be some of you, where no one ever knows about the suffering that you're experiencing. You're just like, I don't want to complain. The Bible says don't com- grain and grumble and complain, so I never tell anyone. And so you might endure long periods of time by yourself enduring suffering. Or there might be some of you that, on the other hand, really have some bitterness and discontent stirring in your heart, and it's spilling out of your mouth all the time. And so how do you know the difference between grumbling and just being honest and sharing with your brothers and sisters what you're going through? Well, I think James gives a good answer in verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another. When you're grumbling about people, you're often blaming your suffering on them. You know, if, if you're, it's your family or it's people in the church or your coworkers or something like that. And it's when people become the target that if you had treated me better, I wouldn't be suffering so badly. And so the question is, if we all had a voice recorder following us around, who are the names that would be coming out of our mouths as the grumbling? And so James is giving us a warning. You want to suffer in patience. Guard against resist grumbling. Okay? So uh, there's, keep your eyes fixed on the coming of the Lord and don't grumble against one another. Okay, a third thing. What must we do in order to suffer patiently is James says we must remain steadfast. You see that there in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you might not think that's a profound answer to say, well, how do you suffer in patience? Well, be steadfast. And you think, well, that doesn't really explain much about suffering and the experience of it. But I remember I got an email a few years ago from a pastor in Nashville. His name is George Grant. He's an older pastor that I really look up to. And I had emailed him about something. He emailed me back. And he signed the email, stand fast, George. I was just like, yeah, stand fast, you know, stay, keep my post, do the work. And, you know, he probably signs every email that way. But it spoke strength into me when he was just, you got to stand fast. Keep to the work that God has has called you to. And the Bible does that. Uh, Psalm 27 is what comes to mind. The end of Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And it's just, the Bible's just charging you, stay in it, do the work, don't give up, be immovable, don't be tossed around by every wind of new idea that comes up or every disappointment that comes up, stay immovable. And how do you remain steadfast? Well, James, again, has an interesting thought on that. He quotes the Sermon on the Mount in verse 12, but above all, my brothers, Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You want to remain steadfast? Keep your commitments. What you said yes to, keep the yes. What you said no to, keep the no's. And, uh, you know, that's something my dad always taught me growing up. It's like the highest value that I learned. Do what you say you're going to do. Especially in COVID, we're all going through COVID. Our lives feel disrupted. What are the things that you have said yes to in your life? If you're a member of Christ Church Bellingham, this community is something you've said yes to. I need to make my yes, yes. If you're married, maybe COVID has created a lot of disruption in your marriage. And to say, remaining steadfast in suffering means keep those commitments. Keep in the marriage. 
Do the work that's set before you and stay with it. And I think that there is a charge for some of us to just receive that, that I need to remain steadfast. That's how God calls me to be patient in suffering. Now, all three of these things, when you hear them, they sound like they require a lot of strength. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Resist grumbling about people and remain steadfast and immovable and not shifted around. And if you are experiencing serious suffering, it's often, though, that you feel like you have no strength. And so when you're experiencing suffering and then someone lays demands on you, oftentimes we'll say, I'm already suffering, and if you put more demands on me, it just aggravates the suffering because I feel like I'm failing even more. And so the last thing I need from the Lord when I'm suffering is more demands of things that I need to do. Well, the Bible does not take that approach. God's word is not afraid to call each one of us as individuals to an almost heroic obedience, even in the midst of suffering. But the Bible also appreciates the weakness that all of us feel. The Bible names that weakness. And that's why in this verse, the the Lord is woven through this whole passage. Six times in six verses, his name is mentioned. Because how are you going to be patient in the midst of suffering? It is only in him and through him and with him. And so that leads to our second question. We looked at what do we need to do to be patient in suffering. But our second question is, What does God do as we are patient in suffering? Again, three answers. First, God gives judgment. God gives judgment. You see there in verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You hear the language of judgment there. And just a quick note about this verse. James says that the coming of the Lord is at hand, which means it's near. And some of you might say, well, James wrote that 2,000 years ago, and Jesus hasn't come yet. Was Was James wrong about that? Well, Matt mentioned this last week about how the whole time period from Jesus' first coming to his second coming is called in the Bible the last days. And the Bible says that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So, you know, time is mysterious. And so you have some verses that talk about that Jesus' coming, the coming is soon. And then you have other verses that talk about his coming being delayed. And so it's mysterious when he's going to come. But in the Bible, a judge is not so much an old guy with the black gown and the gavel order in the court. That's not the picture that should come to mind when you you see the word judge in the Bible. What you should think of is Braveheart with his face painted blue on a horse with a spear or Gandalf or, or Wyatt Earp coming into the Old West into Tombstone to clear out all the bandits. What a judge was a warrior who came and saved, rescued, and oppressed people from their oppressors and set them free and give them peace and give them comfort and help them. And James says that our Lord, the rider with a blue face on the, on, the, uh, on the horse, is just on the other side of a door. And when you think about where heaven is, where is heaven? I think we all feel that, like, oh, is heaven on the other side of the universe or something like that? He says, no, heaven to earth is just a door. And right on the other side of that door is our Savior who's coming as the judge. And you say, what an incredible hope. 
that he will come and set us free and make all things right, and he is near. And so we are waiting for him with anticipation. And so first, what does God give? He gives judgment. Judgment is a good thing. Second, God gives purpose. God gives purpose. You notice in verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I think it's really interesting that Job is the example of steadfastness in suffering. Job, if you don't know the story of Job, his, all his children died. He lost all of his wealth. He had excruciating pain all over his body. And the book of Job is largely about Job saying to God, I was a righteous man and I had all this suffering. I want an answer from the judge and from the king about why this has happened to me. And then finally the Lord appears to, to Job at the end of the book and he shows him all the mysteries of the universe. And he says, look at this world you live in. You don't understand this universe. How much less could you understand my purposes and my ways in your suffering? But this is what James says in verse 11. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Job's story was charged with meaning, even if he couldn't see it. And if you are in Christ, your story, every detail of your story in your life is charged with meaning, even if you cannot see it. And uh, my wife always reminds me of the illustration of, of an embroidery. You know, a piece of embroidery has a, a beautiful stitched picture, picture on one side, and on the back it's just all this knot of yarn or string or whatever it is, and it looks like a total mess. And, and that's like a picture of our lives. That if you picture there's an embroidery in heaven, and we look up and we see the bottom of it, and we say, was that a child that was just playing with yarn, and it, there's no order, it's ugly, it makes no sense, and yet it's the Lord who's looking from the top, and he sees a beautiful picture where every stitch has been carefully placed. That is what our life is like. And some of you might say, why would God stitch into my picture suffering? Have you ever read a story that really moved you or impacted you that did not have suffering, or a biography? Suffering is an essential piece of a meaningful life. A story is a story even worth telling if it doesn't have suffering. And so amazing promises we have that God is a judge who's not far off. He's just on the other side of the door. He's near. He's coming to us. God gives purpose to the stories of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. But lastly, maybe the most important thing that God gives is God gives compassion. God gives compassion to those who are suffering. Verse, second part of verse 11. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And the great author who's writing your story, he's not cold, he's not indifferent. Authors aren't that way. The, story, the characters they're writing in their story, they love the characters that they've made and they've crafted their whole life and they're ordering all these details for how the story is going to happen. He loves you. He made you. He's devoted to you. He sent his son for you. And he is shepherding you through whatever you are experiencing. And you'll find a thousand times over in the Christian life that God will 
give you hints and tokens that he is with you and he's compassionate and he cares for you. And he sprinkles good things right when you need them. And the person that he brings into your life or maybe you got a job you didn't see coming or there's a good weekend that you had that you really needed or there's a word of comfort and blessing. This is all the compassionate Lord who is walking with you, making sure you know that he's with you. And so we all have to embrace that a major part of our Christian life will be patience and suffering. Can you accept that? That what you've signed up for in the Christian life will involve patience and suffering. Can we accept it? Especially if it comes from the God who loves us. And if you can, and here's these things, simple things he gives you. Keep your eyes fixed on his coming. Be careful to grumble against the brothers and sisters that God has given to you in your life. Remain steadfast, immovable. Keep your commitments. And the reason that he knows you can do that is because you, you have God who's, who's a judge who's on the other side of the door. You have a God who's detailed everything with purpose. And he's compassionate to you and walks with you so that you can trust him. Let's pray together.